Mary said, With all my heart I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God my Savior. He has looked down with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on everyone will consider me highly favored, because the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone, from one generation to the next, who honors him as God. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and set the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel remembering his mercy, just as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then returned to her home. So our scripture is Hebrews 10, five through 10. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, you didn't want a sacrifice nor an offering, but you prepared a body for me. You weren't pleased with entirely burned offerings or a sin offering. So then I said, look, I've come to do your will, God. This has been written about me in the scroll. He says above, you didn't want and you weren't pleased with a sacrifice or an offering or with entirely burned offerings or a purification offering, which are offered because the law requires them. Then he said, look, I've come to do your will. He puts a... He puts an end to the first to establish the second. We have been made holy by God's will through the offering of Jesus Christ's body once for all. The word of God for the people of God. So, something old, something new, something forward, something true. That's what happens when I let Peter pick the sermon titles. Throughout Advent, we've been trying to talk about what it means to get something for Christmas and how traditions help us to find that. We talked about how old traditions ground us. They, they give us a place in our own family, but also in God's greater story. And then the next week, we talked about what it means to make new traditions as we make new families, or what it feels like to be grafted in for the first time to somebody else's traditions. If you were here last week, you got to see the children present their wonderful Christmas pageant. If you were at first service, you heard Peter talk about the faith that we want to pass forward, how traditions help us hand off to the next generation. So, Old, new, forward, that leaves me with something true. If we're going to talk about the true meaning of Christmas, then there is only one tradition that comes immediately to mind. Christmas time is here. Happiness and cheer. Anybody? Charlie Brown. 
the Charlie Brown Christmas special. My mom loved peanuts when we were growing up. So I have seen the Charlie Brown Christmas special every year for years. That many, yeah. But you know, as, as beloved as Charlie Brown is today, it is the Christmas special that almost didn't happen. In fact, when CBS executives screened the Charlie Brown Christmas special for the first time, one of them turned to Charles Schultz and said, the only reason I'm putting this on air is it's due out in a week and I have nothing else. The truth is, by the standards of specials, Charlie Brown did everything wrong. It was only a half hour. It was only the second special ever made for children in prime time. And yet, even though it was for kids and it was animated, the pace was slow. The story was really simple. The soundtrack was mostly a jazz trio, sometimes in a minor key. There were no celebrities to be found anywhere. In fact, almost all of the cast at the time was under the age of 12. And greatest faux pas of all, Charles Schultz insisted that the climax of the story be Linus alone on a stage with nothing but the words of St. Luke, that he quote the Bible in prime time on network television. By the time the Charlie Brown Christmas special aired, even the men who made it thought it was going to fail. And yet that first night, it is estimated that 45%, nearly half of people watching TV that night watched the Charlie Brown Christmas special. It has been such a colossal success that it has run every year without fail for 50 years. Sometimes it's even on more than once a season. Charlie Brown is far and away the most successful Christmas special of all time. Now some people might be surprised by that, that this small, quiet Christmas special would have such unexpected success. But I'm not. I mean, really when you think about it, small, quiet, unexpected, isn't that how Christmas works? Isn't that how God works? In all three of our readings today, we see God choosing the things that are small, that are quiet, that are unexpected, even when others might choose big and flashy and powerful. Walk through it. First we heard this morning, Micah, right? Might not be your first choice of prophets, but, but you get stuff like, he will stand and shepherd his flock. They will dwell secure. He will become one of peace. That's a beautiful sentiment. And Micah is an Older Testament prophet, and at any time we're reading the Older Testament prophets, especially at Advent, it's helpful to practice a sort of double vision, right? We, we tend to immediately see in all of their words, Christ is coming, 
right? That's what we're celebrating at this season. But it, it's helpful to also hold on to what those words meant in their original context. Because there is a deeper meaning in the overlap. Micah was not the biggest prophet of his day. The big, the big guy of Micah's time was Isaiah. Both Micah and Isaiah are working in Judah, the southern kingdom. Both are facing the Assyrians. They're on the doorstep. But while Isaiah spends his time in Jerusalem yelling at kings and advisors, Micah is a prophet of the people, shall we say. He is out with the farmers and the laborers and the craftspeople. Where the Assyrian invasion is an impending reality for Isaiah, it is often a present reality for Micah. He is in the towns that have already been overrun. He is preaching to people who have already seen destruction and loss. And yet he looks at them and he says, in the midst of the rubble, a savior is coming. But don't look to your armies for salvation. Don't look to Jerusalem. They're about to get theirs. Now instead, where will a savior come from? Verse two, as for you, Bethlehem of Ephraim, though you are the least significant of Judah's forces, one who is to be a ruler will come out of you. The least significant of Judah's forces. Now we hear Bethlehem, right? And we go, city of David, Jesus is born there, important place, yes. But here in Micah, what it really means to be born in Bethlehem. CEB says least significant. We might be more familiar with the NRSV, the little clan of Judah. That's a very nice way to say it. In Hebrew, the word's not so nice. It's, it's often used to refer to somebody who is younger or of low social standing, someone who has no power. Bethlehem is not a place of war. It is not bringing up soldiers and warriors. It is not a training ground for great leadership. Bethlehem is just a small, quiet town. And yet, Luke puts one, possibly two, of the most important births in our faith there in Bethlehem. The words of Mary that we heard today, sometimes we call it the Magnificat, the Song of Mary, they could have been sung in Bethlehem. We know that Mary has gone to the Judean highlands, which is where Bethlehem is, to see her relative Elizabeth. When I say Elizabeth here, mother of John the Baptist. Now Mary could have gone because Elizabeth is impossibly old to be pregnant. And maybe, you know, as you do, you send the younger daughters along to be helpful. But Mary might also be there because she's in a little bit of trouble herself. There is a long tradition of sending girls in the family way to their aunt or cousin. Mary is a young, quiet, pious girl. 
but she is unmarried and with child. I want you to think just for a moment in your mind what that long journey might have been like. The stress, the anxiety. I want you to suppose just for a minute that Elizabeth might have been the first person to look at Mary with joy about this baby. She might have been the first person to call her blessed instead of cursed. Mary is at that age where she has got enough in the hormone department going on without angels showing up and unwed pregnancies and fiancés who are becoming a little unstable and pregnancy hormones. And there's a lot going on for Mary, maybe, at this moment. Some of you have had moody teenagers in your house. Tell me if you remember this, this situation. Um, your teenager gets a little overwhelmed with life and they just, they find that song, that one song, they just identify with. You know the song because it's been on repeat in your house for weeks. It's on in their room, it's on in their earphones, they sing it at the dinner table. It's on so long that you know the words to the song even though you would never admit it. Some commentators think that's what Mary's doing in this moment. That faced with joy and fear and anxiety and blessing and all of the myriad of emotions, she reaches out for something familiar that she grasps on to a song of the faith, and that becomes the words of her soul. As we look at, at those, we see all the things that she could be going through, right? So, with all my heart, I glorify the Lord. That's joy. He has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. That's gratitude. Everyone will consider me highly favored. That's expectation. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. Everyone who is going to mock me because of this baby can shove it. It's helpful to take a look at the footnotes. You can hear Mary kind of starting to, to build up her courage. She's a small girl from a very small town. If Bethlehem is small, then Nazareth is a post office and a stop sign. When I, I, told, I said stoplight at first service. We're going to go with stop sign. <laughs> you may have lived in a small town. You may know what it's like for a girl to turn up pregnant. There will be those who mock. There will be those who shame her. Her family might disown her. We know her fiance's a little flaky at the moment. She could even be stoned. In this moment, Mary is a little bit lost. Yet she proclaims her faithfulness. And she will keep doing it over and over. Luke is really good at giving us Mary's high points, right? We get the annunciation from the angel, we get the visitation to Elizabeth, and in the next chapter we get the birth. But we know in between those things are nine 
long months. Nine months of Mary living with that baby, day in and day out. With her choosing to be faithful, not in one glorious moment of prophecy, but every single day. Hebrews wants to tell us that that steadfastness we see in Mary, that is what true faith looks like. Keep tracking with me, I know. We're covering a lot of turf here, and in, in the beauty that is Christmas, it's easy to want to skip over Hebrews. I mean, this close to presents and pecan pie, nobody wants to talk about sacrifice. I get it, I do. But Hebrews is important. The lectionary hangs all these things together for a reason. See, Hebrews is the, why does this matter for my life? Peace. Hebrews is a pretty big and dense book, but it really wants to talk about three things. It wants to talk about who Jesus is, how Jesus deals with sin, and what is required of us out of that. For 10 chapters, Hebrews has been building up this great image of Christ who is the sacrifice and the high priest, and now it, it wants to talk about what do you do with sin? And it boils down to this, Sin breaks our relationship with God, and God established a system of sacrifices to help us restore that relationship again and again. The problem is, when the sacrifice becomes just another thing to check off the to-do list, or worse, it, the sacrifice becomes a chance to show our own piety, or to justify our actions without any change of heart or life, then that system has gotten broken. It's not doing what it's supposed to do anymore. So Jesus comes to do it differently. Jesus says, I put on a body and become faithful in obedience. Yes, we always jump to obedience even unto the cross, but Think about it, between Bethlehem and Jerusalem, there are 30-something odd years. 30 years of faithfulness, day in and day out. Wonder where he learned that. In the crucifixion and the resurrection, we get that grace of God, but, but Jesus says, now your part is to participate in the faithful living, to be the living sacrifice, to as much as possible live the way I did, to make those choices small and quiet though they are, day in and day out. And I will be with you, I will empower you, but the big, great work is done. What is left is quiet, faithful obedience. We come to that time of year. We all want something special for Christmas. And again and again, we see. We see God showing up. We see God using the things that are small and quiet and unexpected. In Micah, there is a savior from a small town. 
In Luke, there is an unwed teenage girl who will carry the Messiah. In Hebrews, when sacrifice has become nothing but duty, God prefers the quiet choices of a living sacrifice. We know all of this. And yet, when we want something true, it seems like our nature is to look for salvation in all the wrong places. We are just drawn to the loud and the shiny and the new and the perfect. I mean, think about it just, just in how we celebrate Christmas, right? Who still has 10 things on their to-do list? Yeah. We want, we want to find the perfect gift. We want to put on the perfect program or the perfect service, guilty right here. We want to make the perfect dessert. We want it to be big and we want it to be colorful and we want the lights and the family. And we stress ourselves out trying to get these perfect moments that we just want to throw up our hands and go, rats, done with it. God doesn't require all of that. We do that to ourselves. Because God wants to say again and again, it is small, it is quiet, it is unexpected, even though we encounter the true meaning of Christmas every single year. You know how the true meaning of Christmas goes. I promise you. The true meaning of Christmas goes something like this. Lights, please. Say it with me. And there were, in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you great tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to all. It can sound big and complicated and impossible, but it's not. It is the quiet miracle born at Bethlehem and continued in the millions of lives and choices of the everyday people who choose to follow him. It is the great gift that we have been given and that we can give to the world, not just at Christmas, but all year round. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
This church exists to help ourselves and others take their next step in their faith journey with Christ. One of the next steps, I think just in terms of being part of a high expectation community, is to join us tonight for Cookies and Carols at 6.30. It's an intergenerational, um, uh, very much a family-oriented activity. All of us together in the Fellowship Hall, uh, there'll be uh, choir performance, there'll be uh, bells and bands, Uh, there'll also be an opportunity for us to sing together uh, carols. Also, we're hoping that you'll bring your favorite uh, Christmas dessert. Uh, Come and bring it to share, uh, and together we'll get to enjoy uh, time together uh, as a faith family. Um, Also, I do hope that you'll be uh, planning for uh, attending one of our three Christmas Eve services. The four o'clock is very family friendly. Uh, The seven and 11 have candles and communion uh, and carols. Uh, We look forward to you um, uh, attending. We also look forward to you thinking about who is that one person in your life who doesn't have a church home, uh, who doesn't know where they're gonna go for Christmas Eve. And I hope that you'll reach out and invite them. A good way to invite is to tell them how much your church means to you. Tell them how much Christmas Eve uh, means to you. Then invite them uh, and suggest that you would love to pick them up and to bring them. Studies show that it's an 85% likelihood that they're gonna say yes. So we do hope that you'll be thinking about others uh, while you're doing all the things uh, that are on that list of things to do. Um, If today's the day that you'd like to join this congregation, we hope that you'll come down during our closing hymn, which is Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, uh, as David Hill comes to lead us in that song. So oftentimes um, we are good at welcoming uh, folk uh, into new membership, but sometimes we miss the opportunity to say goodbye as someone heads off. And I didn't even clear this with Lainey, but Lainey, wave your hand. Lainey's been a part of uh, the youth program here at um, Chapelwood for about six months. Um, family, if you're here too, you can wave as well. But I saw Lainey and talked with her. Uh, they are moving to Chicago, and uh, Lainey expressed uh, great uh, appreciation for this church, and I hope that you know we express great appreciation for you. It's kind of a preacher's favorite story, right? They move into this neighborhood, and the neighbors do what? They walk over and invite them to where? To church. So we're thankful for the Barksdales as well, uh, starting the relationship and uh, enjoying a time together. Uh, So um, we give thanks for you, and uh, look forward to for what God's going to do among you. Why don't you grab a hand uh, next to you, and let's close with our benediction. Almighty God, in the busyness of the season, may we find uh, something old, something new, something forward, and something true in the traditions as we celebrate. Remind us that that true thing does not have to be uh, large and surprising and uh, bright and shiny. It just has to be faithfulness to you. As we remember the reason for the season, send us out to spread truth and beauty to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.